Hello everyone and welcome again to another episode of Fan Fuel. This is episode 17. Today we'll be talking about the what ifs in racing and we'll start off with the Winston Cigarette Company a little bit later on in the show. But as always, uh, we're going to recap this weekend's action for you. We had a lot going on and we're also going to smash Walker Joke in, into this. So if you get a little bit lost, I'm sorry, but you got to keep up. So Starting off, the Monaco GP, we said it was a joke that it was this past weekend, last in last week's episode, but it wound up being pretty interesting. Max Verstappen won the race, and that gave him the championship lead for the first time ever in his Formula 1 career, as well as being the first person to overtake Lewis Hamilton this year. And now, some other stuff happened, and on Saturday, Charles Leclerc won the pole, and then he wound up crashing in his second run. That was scrutinized by a lot of fans because Formula 1, if he would have fixed his car, was going to let him keep pole position. So my question to you guys, woke or joke, are we okay with Formula 1 allowing someone to keep their position after crashing once they post a time? Um, I'm going to have to go joke on this one just because I think that it's, it's supposed to be a good deterrent for drivers to not do any antics and qualifying that that they get rewarded for i'm not saying that he clearly didn't do that on purpose because in no right in no right mind would do that i just think that there has to be something done to prevent them being able to get away with it if that makes sense i don't like somebody being able to completely bend their car and pretty much end the session for everyone else and still get to keep their pole i think that if you cannot continue the session because you total your McLaren, then you shouldn't be able to keep the pole. I don't. I don't know if you have to go to the back or not, or just get like a, a standard brake penalty. But I do think that you shouldn't be able to keep the pole provided you fix the car. Like maybe a five-place brake penalty, like standard, would probably be appropriate. But I just. I think it's got to be more like IndyCar in that regard. Yeah, I agree completely. I almost take this as like in NASCAR when you bring out a backup car, you get penalized for it. If you trash your car in qualifying, you shouldn't get to keep your starting spot, especially if it's the pole. Yeah, I'm just going to have to go and, and say this is joke, just like the other two uh, guys have. I mean, what's the point of, of giving someone a position that they've just replaced their car for? So let's say Charles does come out and sits on the grid on Sunday without their issues that they had, um, and, and he goes on and wins the race. Most important day in Monaco is Saturday. Everyone knows that. Most of the time, the front row is going to tell you who the winner is. You've got that, and then you've also got a precedent set because if you change your gearbox or you change your engine, you know, in the past, it's been a 5, 10, 15 place grid penalty. Well, they just had to rebuild the car, so there's a lot of new parts going on in the car. I mean, it's just, it's a precedent that's already been set, and they just made a joke out of themselves for saying that, you know, if Charles' car was good, he was going to start on pole, so... Um, it wound up not being a hindrance to the rest of the guys in the field, but the fact that it would have happened if Ferrari had fixed the car correctly, it's kind of a joke as a motorsports fan for me. Um, next up, we had the first of two doubleheaders on, of the two doubleheader races on Saturday in Circuit of the Americas. And this was kind of historic for NASCAR uh, because first time at this facility and... Um, we saw a really good truck race. I mean, they were slow uh, in the damp racing conditions that they had, and they had really great action despite that. So 
it was really fun to watch, um, and that kind of led on into the second race of the day at Coda, and that was the Xfinity Series. Personally, um, I don't know if these guys agree, I just felt there was too many yellows to provide a decent uh, race. Not necessarily that the race wasn't good, but I believe it could have been better um, you know, if we hadn't had those yellows. However, Kyle Busch won the race, so that comes to number 98 for KFB, and guys, he said once he hits 100, he will be done. So, um, woke or joke, when Kyle Busch hits 100, is he going to actually stick to his words? That's such a joke. I mean, I think that, I don't think it's a detriment at all to him to want to stay in Xfinity, but in my mind, I don't see that happening because he's, you know how he is. He's a, such a competitive guy and he never, I don't think he's going to want to sit on the sidelines in a race that he could be leading every lap of, especially Xfinity and Come to think of it, I can picture it right now, him winning his 100th race, getting out of the car, doing his little crying gesture to the fans, and then saying, oh, well, too bad, I'm sticking around until I hit 150. And then if he hits 150, he'll stick around until 200 and so on and so forth. So I just – I don't see him doing it. Um, I'm going to go woke. I think Kyle's done after 100. Um, he said this for a few years now. It's you know, just like a new thing that's come on the last few weeks or months. Um, I think that being older, especially with Brexton getting older, he'd want an extra day with the family. You know, granted, they'll still probably be at the track, but they could still hang out and do other stuff. Maybe he could run home and uh, catch a race with Brexton if they're close. Um, also, I mean, sitting at 100 wins, I think he's kind of set that benchmark so that he kind of is assured that no one's going to pass him. And the closest driver to him right now is Mark Martin at 49 wins. So he is literally half of Kyle's win total right now. Um, I think Kyle's done at 100. Um, I think he's going to call it quits in the Xfinity Series. Probably still racing the truck and definitely was still racing the cup, but no more Bush cars. Yeah, I, I'm kind of teetering on the fence. I'll I'll go with uh, kind of what Colton said, but also kind of what Nathan said. I think this is going to be woke on the side of I think Kyle might be done um, after this season if he hits that 100 mark. But, you know, he's got four races left, and he could go out there and win the next two races of those four. So I'm going to say joke. Um, if he gets number 100 in the next two races uh, that he runs in the Xfinity Series, he's not giving up those other ones. So he might come off with 102 wins if he goes perfect uh, on the season. So I don't know. That's just where I'm at. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, as a matter of fact, was also a big couple of days for the Indy cars as they were doing the Indy 500 qualifying. Of course, we saw Saturday them setting up um, kind of uh, a pseudo bump day. Uh, bump day really kind of doesn't exist anymore in, in the natural sense. Uh, but they were they were getting ready for who's going to be the fast nine qualifiers, who was going to be qualifying for 30th through 33rd and not going to get in the race. And then everyone from 10th to 29th was set in on pole. But Sunday, we'll move on to coverage began with last row qualifying and i've got to say guys they had an hour to do this but we only saw a few runs and so they only did a few runs because well there was only five cars and also there was no cooling allowed so i want to ask you guys woke or joke having an hour for last row qualifying but no cooling allowed is that woke or is that joke well i think i'm gonna have to go joke on this one um, I wasn't able to watch the whole thing, but I did see the main headlines. And with that being said, 
I feel like if you're going to have that long of a time to run your qualifying, then I do think cold out should be allowed because if, if every team that's up for the running to get that last row spot, it would be a little more fair in my mind. I think if every team got an appropriate amount of cooling time versus say, you know, someone gets to do their lap first and the other guys can sit on the grid and just, I don't think it should come down to that. I think every team should have the same opportunity to get their car to where they want it. Yeah, I'm going to go joke. This is the biggest race in, certainly in North America, um, arguably one of the biggest in the entire world. Um, we need to do everything in our power to make sure everyone gets a fair shake trying to make the field. I would hate for someone to miss it on such a simple technicality like this. To go joke, um, just based on the fact that it was an hour long, you know, if you'd have said something like everyone gets two runs or or gave it like that, um, it'd been different. But it was an hour long. Everybody went out and did one run, and then it was so forgettable for me. I don't know how many more cars did multiple runs other than the two that weren't in on speed at the end of the session, and they didn't go fast enough to qualify either. So it was showing a whole hour's worth of coverage, a whole hour's session, and we got maybe 10 minutes of action out of it. And I just, that's that's a joke for TV standards. Um, but sun, Sunday afternoon, though, a few hours later, they did do the Fast 9. That was qualifying for the pole, and they did something that I don't know that NASCAR uh, could ever do. And I'm going to assume I know the answer to this, but Woker joke, NBC did not do any commercials for the entire 58-minute session during the Fast 9. I'm not sure, but that being said, anything with no commercials for that long of a time, that's got to be woke for me. I mean, I'm not used to, as an American sports fan, I'm not used to getting that much time in a row without a commercial. So it almost reminds me of the TNT wide-open coverage where they would bombard you with ads for the first three quarters of a race and then for the last however many laps they would pledge to have no commercials so hey i think it's great because the fast nine you know that's what you want to see you want to see guys fighting for the pole and to have no commercials during that's pretty cool um i'm gonna go woke for indycar um there's no way that nascar could do this i think if we do branch it over to nascar we would have to do like just the final stage maybe with no cautions or uh, no commercials unless there's a caution but as an American sports fan, this is a huge, huge woke. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to either of those comments. It's just woke. Um, so Sunday also saw us racing with the Cup cars in Circuit of the Americas for the first time ever. And it was pretty a uh, historical event um, if you just look at it from the outside because we were racing at an FIA Grade 1 facility for the first time in the Cup Series. Um, since I think that grading system has been a thing. I mean, of course, we race at previous uh, venues like Watkins Glen um, and then the Xfinity cars on the IMS road course last year, but this is the first true world stage racetrack that's not Daytona or the Indianapolis Oval um, that we've raced on, and, and I think that was pretty cool in itself. However, NASCAR goes up against the PGA's uh, one of their majors, and IndyCar qualifying, and wound up with a little bit bad rating. So um, I don't know if this is is due to this or not, but, I mean, woke or joke, guys, putting yourself against a PGA major and IndyCar qualifying. Well, I think I'm going to have to go partial on this one. I don't think it's necessarily woke. I don't want to have to go up against those kind of sports, but 
On the other hand, I don't think it's fair to have to completely bend over backwards for other sports. I think that sometimes it's just the luck of the draw scheduling wise and you have to just make lemonade out of lemons. So as a as a sports fan, I'm really selfish and I wanna see the racing. I don't want to get delayed a week over, you know, some other sport that I don't watch. I'm gonna go joke. Not necessarily because they were dueling with the PJ Tour. I don't think that's there's a whole lot of NASCAR fans that would choose between one or the other. Not necessarily Indy 500 qualifying either, um, but for the fact that this should be run on a Saturday night. Traditionally, it always has been with the All-Star Race this weekend. Um, I don't know why we couldn't have placed a different track in this place and then moved Coda to a different time of year, maybe you know a week or so after the Coke 600. Again, I don't know if going up against the PJ Tour really hurt the ratings. What really hurt the ratings, in my opinion, was having the race air on FS1 instead of the big name network. If this is the first time we're racing at a grade one Formula One circuit, um, we need to have that on the big network. And ratings absolutely soar when we're on the prime network. Yeah, I can kind of agree with uh, all of your sentiments there, uh, Colton. Um, I'm going to have to go joke as well. Um, This comes from being an uh, Indy 500 fan since I can remember. I've always watched qualifying uh, both days and Fridays had uh, in the past when they had it on Fridays and you know having to flip through channels is is kind of a joke for me and we know that the weekend prior to the Indy 500 we do Indy 500 qualifying I mean we have a similar procedure uh, up until this year with Daytona with qualifying happening the Sunday before the 500 for the for us so I, I, I don't understand we keep saying that it's important for these two uh motorsports to to work together and we're we're gonna have a couple double headers later in the year with indycar and i just i don't see how competing against one another is working together it doesn't make sense to me and then like you said you know the all-star has always been at night so you've never had to swap those channels during this weekend you always knew that hey i'm gonna i'm gonna watch indycar qualifying and then i'm gonna watch all-star qualifying in the open and then I'll watch the All-Star Race, and then that's it, and you do your thing Sunday, and there's no cut race in, in, in the way. And, you know, another idea I had is, I mean, why not have this as an off weekend? Traditionally, these guys came home for two straight weeks in Charlotte, you know, because the All-Star Race and the Coke 600 are, were always back-to-back. Why not just have this race weekend be an off weekend so that the crews can still have that two two weeks at home sort of deal. No, I agree completely with the, if, you know, if, if we're going to keep racing on this weekend, let's have the all-star race in Charlotte, or at least do it at, you know, do a Darlington night race or something like that. Um, but having the crews home, I think is important, especially this time of year, we're going to ramp up right into the summer months where we're nonstop kind of all over the country. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, another big thing that happened on Sunday was it was wet and it was wild because of that. Um, we saw a bunch of really nasty wrecks involving multiple cars, specifically on the back straightaway, um, and there was a lot of vision issues and stuff like that. And we see Kevin Harvick get out of the car, and I believe he was talking to Bob Pockers at this point. Um, so based on Harvick's comments, a little bit of synopsis. Um, basically, this is the most dangerous thing I've ever done behind the wheel of a NASCAR uh, series car, uh, and this is stupid, uh, is essentially what Harvick says. So, Woker joke to Kevin Harvick's comments. 
Oh, man. I think I'm kind of in between on this. I don't want to be like armchair driver about this because it's not really in my, in my wheelhouse. But I think the one thing that's making me lean toward Joe is that this is the same guy that's wrecked the entire field of Talladega on purpose. And honestly, okay, whatever. I don't fault him for doing that. Um, I probably would have done the same thing in a format that's stupid. But to say that, to speak as if you're sort of the um, the end-all, be-all when it comes to safety like that, when not only you did that, but he's raced at Daytona and Talladega before Hans' devices were even mandatory. So, I mean, this probably isn't even top two in terms of the most dangerous things he's ever done. But that being said, yeah, obviously it's never going to be safe in the rain, but I feel like it was a little bit of hyperbole. I don't think he should go as in like, we should never be doing this or whatever. I think that with improvements, rain racing is going to become more and more possible. Man, do I got a mouthful. I'm going to go woke on Harvick's comments um, because this, this was stupid after his accident. Um, and the whole Blaney Bell one, the race should have been stopped. I mean, it was clear that the drivers could not see if they would listen to the, the crew members and the spotters who are up on the stand who said, hey, I can't see my car until they come out of turn 11. That's that's a huge problem. Um, and I, I mean, we've seen the onboards to where other drivers can't even see the blinking light in the car in front of them until they're on their ass. This is super dangerous. And granted, other series race in the rain. That's what I've seen all weekend. You know, everyone else can do it. Why can't NASCAR? Well, NASCAR doesn't have the technology for it. The technology is really going to have to improve. They're really going to have to figure out what the hell they're doing here. They're going to have to go test in the rain, not just in the damp, for this to be really, really safe. Formula One races in the rain, but they don't got 40 cars lined out there. You know, they're not, they're, they're more in tune for this kind of racing. Um, NASCAR has never been. Um, and to the point of, you know, him wrecking the field at Talladega. I mean, without looking at that, it's still probably not the most dangerous thing he's ever done in a race car, but it was up there and it was, it was pretty senseless. It's something that definitely could have been avoided. And I think it's super important for one of the veterans of the sport, someone who's been around for 20 years to come up and say it, you know, if Corey LaJoy or if Cody Ware would have got out and said, man, this is way too dangerous. I don't feel safe doing this. You know, I think we, they probably would have got a lot of backlash, but being that it's Harvick or, you know, MTJ coming out and saying it, the fans and the sport is going to take a look and say, okay, hold on. We need to change something here. So completely woke for Harvick's comments. Yeah. I'm going to have to go woke. I mean, who said it doesn't really matter. The truth is, is still, is still that everything that we did Sunday uh, was really kind of dangerous. You know, you look at Saturday with the truck race, it was damp, great action. Drivers could, could mostly see there was still some spray. Um, but, when NASCAR sees that you can't see anything on these onboard cameras, when NASCAR is hearing complaints over the radio from drivers, from spotters, that they can't see what's going on, have the ability to succumb your nest, I guess, your necessity for entertainment. Bring them down pit road. Wait till the rain lightens up. Put the air titans out there for just a bit, just like they did later on in the race, and and then resume racing. And we don't get those wrecks that we had. I mean. I, I, I was scared. I saw the 47 car coming into the frame, lock the brakes up, and and what looked like but narrowly avoid the 41 car as Cole Coaster's coming out. Bearing in mind, other shots showed that he was way behind him when this was going on. But right then, right there, I'm like, dude's getting out of his car way too fast. He could get ran over because these guys can't see. 
And if we're going to see somebody die in NASCAR, it would probably be more like something like that where a driver was out of his car too quickly. And, I mean, we're, we're this is just too much of a safety issue in my opinion. I don't mind racing in the rain. I loved it in the truck race. I loved it in the beginning of the cup race. And it works. There's just limitations to it, and we need to be hard on those limits for safety. Another another thing, the velocity that Cole Custer came in to hitting the 19 was astronomical. You want to talk about closing rates at Talladega and Daytona? Look at the closing rate that that car did going probably 40 to 50 mile an hour faster than the 19. I mean, he sent that dude in the air. And, and when the 19 came down, I can almost assure, just by, based off of my thinking here, if he hadn't landed on Cole Custer and he landed on the concrete, he would have had an injury either the same or worse to Eric Almirola's. And I'm just not okay with that. So it's just a, it's a, it's the woke. It was a very woke comment from Harvick, and it was a really joke decision by NASCAR to just continue racing after all those complaints. Yeah, I agree completely. And, and to the belt point, or the, the Custer point of him getting out of his car quick, I mean, it was on fire. We don't know, looking at it on TV and from afar, we don't know where the fire's at. We don't know if he sees it coming in, you know, through the floorboard. We don't know if he smells something. Um, so, I mean, to his part, he's got to get out quickly. We all right. saw the fireball erupt. Um, and that should just go to show if the drivers can't see the cars when they're racing, how the hell are they going to see a dude get out of their car and start walking across the track? Yeah, it's at no fault of Cole to get out of that car because he, he was on fire. But the fact that he got out so quickly made me really nervous when I saw there were cars still coming at relative speed towards him because you're not safe at that point. You don't have your belts on, um, and you definitely aren't being saved by a car uh, taking that hit for you. Uh, I mean, you get hit by a car and you're standing up, if that car's going more than 10 mile an hour, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, with that being said, uh, we also have the finish of the race and whether or not that was a worker joke. And what I'm referring to is um, the red flag and them calling the race and giving Chase Elliott that win. Honestly, I'm just going to have to go joke on this one just because I think that, you know, what's the point? You know, at whatever point are you still racing in the rain? And then, then like, if it says, I think there has to be more consistency. I think you either race in the rain that much or you don't at all. You can't just say, oh, I want to do it for half of the race and then I want to stop doing it now or vice versa. You know, I think that this should have been an either now or never decision and they couldn't make up their minds and that kind of resulted in all the confusion that we saw on Sunday. And I'm, I was surprised that they chose to stop the race together, um, especially considering there were still 14 laps around code is quite a long time. They had clear intent on trying. They said they had intent to drive the track and they wanted to give the fans a finish. And I'm not really sure where they should go. I think that if you're going to bring the Air Titans out, you should at least you should sort of make the attempt to use them. Or if you don't want to race the rain that heavy, then why not just not race at all? There's got to be a better decision to be made, and it can't just be one. You can't you can't have both. I'm going to be on the fence about stopping the race i say woke because they stopped the race but i'm gonna say joke because they should have stopped it earlier 
um, we saw how the visibility was. It wasn't getting much better. It was still raining. Um, it, and it's not just damp like the truck series race was. It was raining pretty damn good. Um, and especially after a caution and you let the car slow down, you let that water pool up. Um, it's going to take even more time for the air Titans to come out and there's going to be more water coming down to Nate's point and nothing against you, Nate, but I'm not a fan of the whole, well, they've already done it for this long. Why can't we just finish it? Because what if something even worse would have happened? Well, I, well, I did say that I keep in mind, I did say that would have had no issue if they just chose to not race at all at that daytime, like during the day, they could have just not started the race at all. Right, right. And, and I understand that. And that's to my point of, you know, it should have been stopped um, after the Truex wreck is is where I'm kind of joke on them stopping the race. Um, and we did in the group chat, we put our tinfoil hats on for the, you know, NASCAR stopped it because Chase Elliott was leading and was going to run out of fuel. But I think until NASCAR gets the better technology, um, we don't need to be racing in the rain. This is a woke decision for them. Um, and yeah, I agree. Point, like, probably technology. shouldn't be racing at all in the rain i you know in that i would probably i would probably agree with you most on the technology part i think that look at it this way coda is an fia grade one track those tracks are designed with drainage standards in place and if they can't race in the rain at a track that's designed for good drainage then what are they going to do in the rain in a track that isn't grade one like what are they going to do in a track that doesn't have the facilities or the amenities of coda when it comes to being able to drain the track or being able to Exactly. Being able exactly. to run at a world-class venue, I think that you have to improve the technology so that racing in the rain is no longer as big of an issue as it is. Agree, 100%. Yeah, and as far as the issue, I mean, I thought it was kind of a joke. So I know Nathan kind of talked about this earlier about getting the Air Titans out there. And if you're going to do it, why not just go ahead and do it? Um, I saw a lot of fans complaining, myself included. We had plenty of daylight left. I think the general consensus was two to four hours somewhere in that range um and rain was either going to get lighter or it was going to get you know heavier depending on which armchair meteorologist you ask but i think nascar set a precedent by running in that harder rain earlier despite the um the events that we talked about with the wrecks and everything um so we know we could have done it and they brought the air titans out earlier in the race to kind of mitigate everything then they just don't get back to it i i I don't understand the thoughts on that i don't know if that's because a tv window was closing but then again we were on fs1 so the whole point of us being on fs1 was to sell that channel not necessarily to not get in the way of local news and stuff like that that was coming up on 6 p.m. EST. So I, I don't I don't I don't get it. It's just a joke to me. Um like Colton alluded to, um you can put your tinfoil hat on and say they just wanted to give the the fan favorite the win. Um I can say that that possibly made the decision a lot easier. I won't outright say that that's what happened, but I, I can definitely say that probably made their decision um easier. Um and uh I guess the only thing else uh, that we got to talk about the cup race on Sunday was uh, when they went to single file restarts. They did this at Bristol, too. Um, our our account actually said, I wonder what NASCAR is going to do here during that red flag. And then we went on to say, um, I think that they'll probably go to restart single file from now on. And I wouldn't be surprised if later on uh, in the weeks coming that we know that we will have single file restarts on any wet damp or dirt condition 
because of what happened at Bristol. And it looks like we're partially the way there because they decided to go ahead and do that uh, single file restart. So we'll just pat ourselves on the back for that. And now I'm going to go and switch gears. And this is going to be our first episode of What Ifs. And this is kind of an open segment. Um, so not necessarily based around notes, not necessarily based around research. Um, because what we want to do with the What If segment is we want to just ask our question, What If? And then let the three of our minds just create alternate realities as we think they would have let out. So today it's going to be about Winston in the cup series um and i'll start our first discussion for this topic which is what if rj reynolds never shows up yeah um so this was a big thing that we talked about in our own personal group chat um and that we've kind of been going back and forth on is if rj reynolds never shows up um granted they showed up in 1972 um still fairly early on in nascar's history in the grand scheme they sponsored the series they sponsored teams they sponsored tracks um, they had cars for, it seemed like, forever in the Cup Series. Um, they had the Winston Million, the Noble Five. They created the All-Star Race, which was originally called the Winston. If Winston never shows up, in my opinion, NASCAR is never at the level that it was at its peak and certainly not at what it is now. Yeah, and uh, I, I would I would have to agree with that. Um, I mean, this man put money into racetracks to build new grandstands to build new fan amenities uh like restrooms and and concession stands and stuff all he asked is to put his logos on the walls and to paint the walls red and white and that's why you see traditionally and like when we go to darlington and richmond that traditional red white pattern didn't come from just being a thing it came from rj reynolds infusing himself and his brand winston into the racetracks uh by kind of trying to market with that uh, reddish crimson color. And so I can say that, yeah, um, we we probably would have seen something totally different if Winston never shows up. Yeah, you mentioned it was 1972 when, when they did show up. Well, in 1972, that's when we consider the modern era showing up. So I, I don't know if we even grab any national attention had this not happened. I mean... We've got a point structure now with the Latford system. We've got a concise schedule where all the races are going to be on a certain amount of tracks each year, and they're only going to be one race a day, where prior to that, we would have multiple races in different parts of the country. So I don't know what would have happened, but you know what? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and ask Nathan, you know, if, if R.J. Reynolds doesn't show up, what do you think happens? All that stuff that I and, and Colton have said, uh, where do you think NASCAR goes 1972 to uh, 80s and maybe even all the way up to today? You know, that's a good question. I definitely think that it wouldn't be as big as it is today, but I'm not sure if it necessarily would have meant NASCAR is still this, you know, redneck sport. You know, no one really cares about it except for those deep stuff. But as you guys said, it's a huge deal to have a big title sponsor like that. I mean, the point you guys made about the pattern walls – that's enough of an, a demonstration to show you how big of an influence they had on NASCAR. I just don't see how the sport could have been as big not having a title sponsor like that because they were clearly massive for the sport and they brought in a ton of money and they brought in a ton of advertising. And Honestly, as, as much as I don't really support smoking, they definitely supported our sport, so I'm definitely happy about that. 
Yeah, and I mean, the timing that they stepped into the sport couldn't have been better either. Um, it was in 1971 that cigarette advertisement was banned on TV, so now R.J. Reynolds was all of a sudden sitting on millions and millions of dollars and had nowhere to really spend it on. Um, and so what better place than to jump into the redneck sport of the South, that is NASCAR. Um, that is more or less their prime market, especially at that time, was the rough and ready crowd and you know the people who smoked when they worked on their cars. Um, and if I look back, and even if you just think on the race aspect of the Noble Five, the Winston Million, the big payouts that came up after Winston joined, how much money they dumped into just that, it's, it's ridiculous if you add it up over the years. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they spent close to, or if not over, half a billion dollars just in the sport in that 30 years that they were there, probably even closer to a billion um, based on the track renovations, um, the team sponsorships. Um, all the different TV advertising they did just with NASCAR. Winston was NASCAR for 30 years. Um, I don't think we're anywhere even close to what we are today or at NASCAR's peak without Winston. Yeah, and I know we had already had discussions about um, how you know they've, they've infused all this money and stuff. But, I mean, seriously, if we stay, take a step back and you think about it, if that money's not there... Do we have people coming into uh, racing, you know, later on that that we have now? I mean, you look at big names uh, like, I mean, Dan Marino had, had a race team at one point. Now we've got Michael Jordan uh, and Brad Doherty, you know, NBA stars who have teams and stuff like that. I mean, once we got to the 90s, it became a national stage. It was everywhere. It was pop culture. I mean, I know Jeff Gordon helped with that and, and all, of the, all of that history. It's there, but would it have happened? You know, I'm thinking, you know, Nathan said he doesn't know if it would have not just been a regional sport, but you look at IndyCar. I mean, until the boom that NASCAR had, it was pretty much a Midwestern sport, and the guys racing stock cars were the Southeastern sport. So I don't know how far we're going to spread from the Southeast if we don't get this much coverage, we don't get out there. Um I know we hadn't had races in Riverside and in Ontario, California, but, you know, at some point those markets would have naturally dried up because of the urban sprawl out there anyways. Um, so it's interesting to me to think, okay, how exactly do, do we see NASCAR transform? Are they going to still have the 36, 32 race schedules that we see today or um, or in 1972, they don't have a point system. They're still doing it based off of laps completed or prize money. Or are we still having 50, 60 races, kind of like a World of Outlaws type schedule and stuff like that? I mean, I mean, do you guys think that we could have modernized in 1972 or thereafter still? Or do you think we'd still kind of be kind of a roaming circus that's not very straightforward because you you see point systems in other series and stuff but our point systems prior to 1972 were kind of a joke yeah i think i agree with you on that sentiment i think the sport in general needed an identity of some sort even even if they did start to modernize post-1972 and winston kind of brought them that identity through advertising and marketing and just the ton of money that's coming into sport yeah and what Winston did, whether they did this directly or not, um, was they brought the identity of the sport together. 
Um, so if you turn on an NFL game, you've got your star players, right? The Tom Brady's, the the Josh Allen's. Um, same with baseball, basketball. They sell their top market athletes. Well, before Winston came in, when we were still running 50, 60 races a year, the Petty wasn't racing every single race. Neither Pearson. Granted, they were still racing a good majority of them, but you could go see, at that time, a NASCAR national race, and, you know, Fred Lorenzen might be the biggest name that showed up. And so what Winston did was they pulled everyone together in that schedule, um, and they really marketed their big athletes, the Petties, the Earnhardts, the Allisons. Um, and they threw them out, and they told the crowd, here, these are the guys you need to watch for. They're going to be here every single week, um, kind of condensing that schedule. And also one thing that Winston brought along that we, I mean, might take for granted today, but every fan's favorite is night races. Night races didn't happen before the 80s, ever. Um, even at that, the first night race in NASCAR was just some lights that they threw up in the Bristol infield until Winston and Humpy Wheeler got together in the early 1990s and decided they up Charlotte Motor Speedway for the All-Star Race, um, which is now one of the most iconic races of all time and has set the stage for one of, um, whether you want to call it, the most important races of the year in the All-Star Race, at least one of the most exciting in my opinion. So, I mean, Winston set a huge bar for NASCAR and they really amplified the sport in my opinion. Yeah, and you say that that they've they've set the bar and all that stuff. Well, they 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 continue to to talk, stockpile on that. So, um one of the bars that they set that um is is something I think we we might take for granted especially nowadays because of packages and and all this other stuff is when Winston came in, um they kind of took the rinky dink tracks that we were going to off the schedule and they pushed for more super speedways. Now by definition a super speedway is a racetrack that's over a mile and highly banked. So tracks like Dover, for example, or Rockingham or Darlington were some that that everyone liked and that's that's when we started to really move into these bigger, longer races that weren't just, you know, a couple hundred laps on a, on a dirt or asphalt bullring in the middle of God knows where. And, and something that, that I think that would have not happened had R.J. Reynolds not showed up is we wouldn't have had the money to even build some of these speedways. You know, we talk about the boom, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s of these tracks like Texas Fontana and, and all these others. I don't think that we would have had the money to even grasp building new facilities much less the ones the grandiose that we see today so i think one of the biggest impacts that winston had was we moved from being a short track centered series to a speed centric series and i think that was probably one of if not the biggest impact uh for me as a fan going forward i know we've talked about it previously on uh, the episode where we had our own schedules and stuff like that I love speedway racing, and for NASCAR, I'm more of a fan of the endurance speedway aspect. Without Winston, I, I don't think some of these tracks survives. I mean, yeah, Daytona, maybe Talladega survives, but Michigan maybe doesn't survive. I mean, we might not ever go to Indianapolis or Pocono, and then we never have all these other facilities that are being built like Vegas and Kansas and all that stuff, which is the bread and butter of, of my personal fandom. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that he brought up about the bigger tracks. It's something that I never 
never thought of until now. And now I think you're right in terms of that we owe it to them for starting to have a diverse schedule of small tracks, big tracks, you name it. Talked about it quite a bit. I mean, without Winston, the sport wouldn't be, I mean, it wouldn't even be recognizable to what we have today, um, especially what we had in the mid-2000s at the absolute peak with the tracks, the advertising, um, the huge TV budgets, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we go as far back as the, the schedule and the night races even. Um, there's no way that Winston didn't have as big of an impact on NASCAR. Yeah, and um, I, I'd like to say that, that some of these, I guess, heroes that we say, I mean, I know you went you went into the Petties and the Allisons and stuff, but you got to think, um, people like Dale Earnhardt Sr., marketing guru, you got to think Jeff Gordon. He came in the Rainbow Warrior. I mean, that sold a lot of merch. You know, they're making money off the track because everything's so popular. But they were making money on the track because this man literally told you if you won one of these races for the Winston Million, you're going to get a million dollars. If you won one of the Noble Five races, you'll get a million dollars. You win all five of them, you get an additional million dollars. And like you said, they put up, I, I want to say it was. Two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollars in in the first Winston, and I believe that was nineteen eighty four. Please correct me if I'm wrong. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but eighties money—that's a lot of money. So we start seeing guys like like Daryl Waltrip and them come up, and they're making more money than Petty did, and Petty's got two hundred wins, and so R.J. Reynolds is is single handedly funding. Uh, the creation of millionaires at this point as well. So the money is trickling in, and where there's money, more money wants to be invested. So I think um, sponsorships came because Winston was there, and because Winston pulled eyes on it, we got more sponsorship money. We got naming rights to racetracks like Lowe's Motor Speedway, uh, like Sears Point and the like, and it just it burst what we had in the late 90s early 2000s like Colton was alluding to and I'd venture to say that without it um we'd still see some of these great race car drivers but we don't see Tim Richmond we don't see Ken Schrader we don't see Jeff Gordon we don't see Robbie Gordon why because we don't see Tony Stewart as a matter of fact why because they're not going to come to some rinky dink stock car series that runs in 13 um to 15 states in the southeast and, and, and maybe the no, the northeast as well. They're going to stay in the Midwest. They're going to go win the Indy 500. They're going to try and get a triple crown at Michigan at, at Pocono for the 500-mile races. And, and I feel like we could have seen careers very altered just on a driver-by-driver basis. I mean, think of, think of Jeff Gordon going into Indy and being a three- or four-time Indy 500 champion because NASCAR just never takes off. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting point that you make because a lot of people nowadays that didn't necessarily see Jeff Gordon on the track, which honestly is a scary thought that there are fans out there that have never seen him race now, but people forget how close he was to moving to IndyCar or moving to Kirk. And I think that the money the sport had definitely helped those guys sway toward here because at the time you heard the stories about how Jeff Gordon wouldn't get offered a cart ride unless he brought a certain amount of money, which brought him to the Buck Baker Driving School, and that brought him to NASCAR. You know, now it's the other way around. Now we're the expensive series. And it's really neat to see back then that 
people were drawn into NASCAR just because of how much money was in the sport and how much it was winning. Yeah, and I mean, of the names you mentioned, I think the two big ones there are Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart, obviously. I mean, Tony Stewart was already an established champion in IRL. Right. He had no business coming over to stock cars other than it looked cool, they were famous, um, and, I mean, he wanted to know if he could do it. Um, if we're still at the level of just racing at short tracks in the southeast and every once in a while go up north, there's no way he'd come do it. Um, you know, he didn't. He wouldn't have left IndyCar to go to the Cars Tour, which is effectively, you know, a smaller NASCAR tour. Um, he would have kept making the money in the open wheel and then racing sprint cars on the side. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring um, bring him up, and specifically in his case, I I can remember that he was the first IRL champion. Um, and something interesting that happened is IRL technically shouldn't have existed because of the split and whatnot. You know, if that doesn't happen, that's going to be probably another what-if session um, later. Uh, but interestingly enough, there were some scares kind of early on in in NASCAR's history, um, kind of around this time that we're talking um, that Winston comes into the series, where Humpy Wheeler and, and Bruton Smith were potentially going to make a separate stock car series for their tracks, um, starting off with um, Charlotte and the World 600 at the time. And mm. I, I look at, at, at that, you've just reminded me of it with Tony Stewart being the first IRL champion. You know, if if we would have had a NASCAR split, I mean, that would have been totally a, a different thing. And we could have seen both of those two, NASCAR and whatever they were going to call that series, collapse. So we might not even have stock car racing on a national level at all by this point. And and I think that, that Winston coming into the series may have mended that to make those guys want to work together because that's where the money was going to be. I think you're right in the fact that drivers are going to go where the money goes if they can drive both types of cars. And It's the same reason why, say, more drivers want to go to F1 than they do IndyCar because any series with more money is usually going to be more attractive provided the cars aren't ridiculously easy to drive or just bad to race. I just, I don't see how NASCAR would have attracted as much talent as it did with less money in sport. Yeah, and even if we evolve it to drivers today, we don't see Kyle Larson, we don't see Ricky Stenhouse, Face Briscoe, um, Austin Sendrick with the tie he's got in Penske. We don't see a lot of these up-and-comers in the sport as we have now. If Winston never bumped the money into NASCAR to get us to the level that we are today. I think another good point about that, too, is that if if IndyCar were to keep ovals, they probably would still go there, too, if Winston wasn't in NASCAR, because I think that, that was one of the biggest things that brought some of the newer open-wheel drivers to NASCAR, such as Briscoe or Stenhouse, because ultimately IndyCar was getting rid, of, getting rid of ovals, and they needed somewhere to go. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a different conversation for a, a different day. We will definitely be covering the split um, in one of these what-ifs and whether or not the split um, could have happened better or worse or uh, what if they hadn't converged later on. Uh, but the second topic uh, when, when we get into this uh, R.J. Reynolds-Winston saga is what, what if they never leave? So like Colton alluded to earlier, the TV ban happened in 72. They had the money to start just packing sports full of that stuff. Uh, but in 1992, uh, there was legislation put in that said you couldn't 
really do it with sports anymore. And there was um, contract extensions and contract extensions that eventually uh, dribbled up, both because of legislation and because of just personal reasons. I guess maybe return on investment after 30 years doesn't really get you anything. Um, that that Winston just decided to step down. So I wanna I wanna pass this one off to to um, I guess Nathan. What do you think um, happens if we never see Nextel because Winston is still a sponsor of the Cup Series? Oh, man. That would be an interesting timeline to think of if tobacco money was never banned from racing because you saw how much of an effect it had on all sorts of racing. Um, it basically brought NASCAR to prominence. It, it threw billions of dollars around in F1. IndyCar was even in a much more attractive series than it is now because of it, and I think that racing as a whole would probably have a lot more money in it if tobacco was still around. I think that there would be less pay drivers if these tobacco companies did what they've done in the past and sort of backed drivers all the way up from when they were discovered. Um, I think the impact on the sport would have been really positive. I couldn't tell you about um, whether or not the playoffs would have happened or whether or not the sport would have dropped after 06, but... All I know is that, yes, there would be a lot more secondhand smoke, but at the same time, there would be a lot There would be a lot more things in racing that we could celebrate. Um, it just helped everyone. Yeah, I mean, that was um, that was a lot of money that left, a lot of sway that left. I mean, like you said, I mean, from sports in general, you were, you were kind of saying Formula One and IndyCar. Uh, I remember those, those booms, especially for, for North American motorsport in the 90s, was, was pretty much carried by tobacco companies, even outside of Winston, um, Salem Cigarette Brand. Um, you know, we had Cool and, and, and Camel and, and the rest, you know, whether it was on the NASCAR circuit, on the IndyCar slash cart circuit, or, you know, in the F1 circuit with Marlboro and, 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 and all of that. And, you know, I can agree that we would have seen a better state of motorsports throughout any series. Um, but you kind of alluded to, you don't know if, if we'd have seen the slump past 06 or if we would have seen um, the chase kind of formulate. I'm not sure if that was a Nextel decision or if that was a NASCAR decision that may have been there even prior to 2004, but Winston wouldn't let them. So I don't know that we would have gotten the chase. We definitely wouldn't have gone this far into the playoff evolution that we have now um and and i think that the sport would have been kind of better for it uh and as far as the 2006 slump i mean we started going down in 2006 the economy didn't crash until 2008 i think the economy crash was the final nail in the coffin but i think we were still riding the high when we started changing up stuff and i feel like if winston would have stayed that high would have not peaked um in 2006 i think it would have peaked in 08 with stock market crash yeah i mean i agree and to the point of the the chase format um to my knowledge nascar and winston were working on adjusting the points to favor wins a little bit more since as early as 2000 um i know we kind of call it the matt kenseth rule where they you know matt kenseth won one race in 2003 and won the championship based off of his consistency alone and then in 2004, they bring out the chase. But I definitely, I agree with you. We don't see the playoff format evolve to what it is today. I think we definitely keep the chase format or some sort of variation of that format. The money 
still being in the sport would have been huge, especially after 2008 with the market crash, um, and especially through the early 2010s. Once, and I noticed a big shift in branding in NASCAR from the Home Depot, the Budweisers, you know, the the trademark brands of NASCAR into more Aris, you know, the computer tech company, and Ally Bank, and things that the the average fan and the average American can't connect with on a daily basis um we also saw a lot of those marketing promotions fall off um when i was a kid you used to be able to open a cereal box and get a diecast car in it and you'd get a little john andretti you know 43 cheerios or pop secret car whichever and after winston left i mean that stuff really started dying out fairly quickly yeah i and i feel like you kind of hit a home run with that i mean the branding and stuff kind of left when the money left and i think i think of it kind of like like I said earlier, like Winston came in and then everybody else did. So I guess they kind of led the charge. And, you know, I can say definitively that I think NASCAR changing the rules over and over and over led to people leaving. But I think sponsors left, not necessarily because people were leaving, because we had more fans in that 2006 to 2008 to, you know, maybe even up to now than we did in the 90s just based off of the way that broadcasting and telecommunications and the internet have just exploded so at, at that point that height in air quotes of nascar we had we had more fans than ever so for them to to just start dwindling out i don't think it was just solely based off of the number of fans at the track the number of you know people watching on TV, I think it was solely based off of they didn't have a quote-unquote leader. And I, I I feel like Winston being in everything said, hey, this is a safe place to put our money because people are going to go watch it and they're going to give us a return on investment. And I think once Winston came away, you had Nextel there just a couple years before they were bought by Sprint. And it just it took that sponsorship stability away from the top. And once you take it away from the top, everyone else just falls out of line. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And then when Nextel and Sprint bought in, that's kind of when we saw more of these techie, not-so-average companies come into the sport. Um, granted, we still have, you know, the Miller Lights and the Mobile Ones um, sponsoring here and there, but they're not near as frequent as they used to be. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the major sponsorship of the series. People saw NASCAR as a great way to connect with the average American back in the peak days with Winston as a sponsorship and the Good Wrench car and the Budweiser car being some of the most popular. Um, and then once they faded out, it was kind of kind of a free-for-all because we didn't have that leader in the sport. Yeah, and um, to kind of add on to that, I mean, looking at fan kind of interaction, you know, Winston, you could go get a pack of cigarettes at, at, at a race, you know, as like samples uh, for free. And, and I remember... When I was a kid, there was a lot of other tobacco companies like Skull and Longhorn and stuff like that that didn't even sponsor cars that would go give free samples. The first time I had an energy drink was not because I bought it at a, at a, at a store, you know, at a gas station. It's because NOS had a setup, and I drank this, this purple-looking thing, and it was their new grape soda-tasting uh, line, and I was like, oh, this is cool, and then... You know, I've been addicted to to different various types of uh, energy drinks ever since, and that was like two thousand and you know seven or eight. 
So I, I think Winston kind of led the fan interactions as well. We don't see sponsorships coming to the track um, to to give away freebies to try and get more people. And I don't know if that's if that's due to not having someone, uh, you know, like we said, kind of lead the pack and lead the way for that kind of thing to happen. Um, I think if, if, if Winston stays, we see all of that. We see the fan interaction as well. Um, just continue to pile on each other. I mean, you used to be able to go to a grocery store around um, the track during a race weekend or the week leading up to a race, and you might see, you know, at a, at a Winn-Dixie, you might see Mark Martin's show car there or Mark Martin himself. Uh, you might go down the street to the Kmart, and there's a John Andretti car sitting at the Kmart, or he's there as well. You know, we don't get that fan interaction at the souvenir haulers or outside of the racetracks anymore, and I think Winston was really, really good at pushing that because the more that their brand, which was at this point their drivers, were outside, the more that they could get their name just everywhere. That small little patch on that fire suit, that's a Winston Cup driver. That's not a NASCAR Cup driver. That's what we have nowadays. We have NASCAR Cup drivers. Back then, it was we had a Winston Cup driver, and and I think that um, that would have never left, and we'd still have fan engagement all over the place, and I mean everybody would be happy. Um, some of the decisions made with the racing may have not went that way because they were stubborn and they kept rules pretty much the same during that whole thirty years tenure. Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point with the branding. Um, there's no reason that McDonald's right now, being that Bubba Wallace drives McDonald's car, should give away McDonald's Bubba Wallace diecast in their toys like they used to do. Um, and I think Winston was was really great about expanding that branding. You know, if the McDonald's car at, you know, in the Happy Meals brought in more business, then that meant better for Winston because they were still getting a little bit more publicity out of that. Um, you know, if your kid bought the little Happy Meal and got the Bill Elliott car, you would do research and the kid would say, oh, I want to root for that 94 car. And you'd flip on the Winston Cup race and you'd get bombarded with Winston Cup the entire time while your your child was sitting there fascinated with McDonald's car going around the track. Um, and I, I think that speaks a lot of volumes to, to the fact that race fans are just inherently loyal to brands. Um, like myself, I will only shop at Menards unless I can help it. And I will only drink Knox and Monster unless I can help it just because they do support racing. Um, and I think Winston really, really capitalized on that and drove that home to all of the teams and the sponsors that came in. Yeah, I think you make you make more great points with that. I think that sponsors are going to be big for the sport. And you never even realize that until you go back, like you said, and you look at when you were a kid – you got drawn to certain cars because of the sponsors. Like, you know, if you're a kid, say, oh, wow, look at that Home Depot car. Or look at the Rainbow car, for example. What's to say that same sponsor, Winston, can't have that effect? Yeah, and uh, I think we can all agree that it did kind of have that effect. It, I mean, that so Winston Cup Series banter, you know, that we always heard just, just kind of solidified. It kind of sounded almost like royalty or or – or something of, of that nature because it just Winston is such a hard I guess word itself and and I don't know it's kind of I guess flavorful off the tongue and so hearing folks like Mike Joy and Ken Swire and, and eventually you know Alan Bestwick and, and the like saying and welcome to uh, 
race day here at Atlanta Motor Speedway with the NASCAR Winston Cup Series. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of like an, that icon that, that everyone um, could could adhere to and they knew what was going on because they heard that, that really powerful Winston. Um, right. No, I agree completely. And Winston even brought in the name Cup Series in the 1970s when they came on board. Um, in this podcast already, I've still called it the Bush Series. Um, you you kind of get hooked on that after it's here for a while. I know tons of fans that still call it the Winston Cup, or even now it's still called the Cup Series, and that is a product of Winston coming into the series. Yeah, and uh, we, we kind of got stagnant there um, during the mid-2000s because of the schedule and stuff like that. We're now just now starting to shake it up 20 years later after that big boom of 1.5 miles and stuff in the you know the the late 90s and early 2000s I kind of alluded to it earlier uh but but Winston was bringing in new markets um because they were I mean working with NASCAR undoubtedly to try and get into new spaces like the Texas Motor Speedway like the California Speedway and and the like and I I don't know I mean do you guys think that we could have seen new tracks on the cup schedule had Winston still stayed because they were still trying to increase and increase the market. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that one is really hard to speculate on. Um, yes. And no, um, I think you would have seen us go to a few different markets. We might have a track up in the Northeast. Um, they might've expanded a little bit more in the Southeast, um, as well as kind of the middle of the country, you know, the, the Michigan, Minnesota, Kansas, Ohio area. Um, whereas after they left, it was really stagnant. I think we had the same schedule for like 15 straight years. Um, so I think, again, yes and no. It's really hard to speculate with the amount of tracks that were built around that time as to whether or not they would have kept continuing that growth and that huge boom. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll add this because during this time, they were also taking away schedule. Uh, or they were taking away tracks that were on the schedule. So we saw North Brooksboro go away. Um, there was rumor that Darlington was going away, and there was also the Rockingham that was going away regardless of uh, Nextel coming in. So, Nathan, I know you're a guy that loves history in the sport. Um, seeing all of these downsizing and closings of, of dates for those three tracks specifically, do you think that we have maybe lost any tracks uh, outside of those three to the schedule had we um, continued um, going down this road with Winston and these mega tracks. Oh, man. I'm not really sure. I think that, yes, we still would have lost those tracks, but I'm not sure how many more we would have lost. Um, I, I partly think that Winston respects enough of the history of the sport. I don't think they would have wanted to do that, but I think it was more of a thing to where – they saw a bunch of money and they went for it, just like most companies would. And I, I feel like they respected the history, or the history of the sport. They've been around it long enough to know that they have to move a little bit forward, but they don't. They can't forget completely about everything that came up before that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, we saw that they were exiting tracks around that time too, um, but also they were still keeping the the you know, the rough and rowdy crowd alive. Um, even in the early days of some of these big mile and a halfers, we still saw pretty damn good racing, um, especially after the pavement wore out. 
Um, so I think I think they knew what they were doing, but I also think that they would have at some point backtracked and said, "Whoa, okay, let's put the money back into Rockingham because we really kind of missed that racing." Right, and I mean they were they were backtracking in more than a couple of ways too. I mean, um, you know, we saw rumors of Darlington being lost to the schedule. Uh, I believe I've even seen some places where people were speculating that Martinsville was going to be gone. Um, but I think it stayed, like uh, Nathan said, due to its historical impact being the oldest racetrack still standing on the cup schedule. But, uh, Colton, uh, apparently you uncovered some stuff about their exit from from the sport uh, that I kind of want to go over. I mean, we know it did happen, so it's not necessarily with this what if, but I think it's really good information for, for fans to know. Yeah, so, I mean, and even the general consensus among fans and even what I thought up until today was that at the end of 2003, the Winston contract expired with NASCAR and just wasn't renewed um, because of the, the bans on the advertising and the sports marketing. Um, when in all reality, Winston had signed an extension with NASCAR, a five-year extension a year or two prior. And uh, they actually asked NASCAR if they could cancel it and they could, you know, kind of dissolve that extension because Winston was getting a lot of bad publicity, whether it be um, via fines from the government for doing sports marketing or just from the general crowd of, oh, this tobacco company is sponsoring NASCAR. Winston themselves went to NASCAR and said, hey, we need to talk about dissolving this because it is it is not good for our brand anymore. Yeah, and that's really interesting. To be honest, I, I'm growing up. I don't necessarily, quote-unquote, know exactly what cigarettes are uh, and stuff like that. And um, by the time that I understand smoking and stuff, next call, next already in, in, and you know what? I couldn't, I couldn't tell you until a couple of years ago that I even saw a Winston cigarette. So it might, it might have been um, just because they weren't able to, to be out there because like you said, this backlash is coming, coming uh, to the company. And um, I think it's interesting that, you would re- request to to bounce out of your contract uh, what, with what kind of sounds like a joint effort to kind of stabilize the, I guess, dissolving of not only your cigarette brand, but NASCAR itself. Because as you've put it, it kind of, to me, sounded like they were doing NASCAR themselves a favor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, to your point earlier, I mean, we're about the same age. By the time I knew what smoking was, Winston was already out of the sport. I didn't even know Winston sold cigarettes. I thought I just thought that was a, a cool name for the Cup Series. Yeah, me until too. Until I was like 10, 12 years old, you know. But I mean, that was some huge info that I uncovered was that Winston decided to back out. I mean, I've never heard of that outside of financial troubles for a company saying, hey, we're going to quit this sponsorship because it's not good for our brand anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure how if I have any rebuttal to that, to be honest with you. You did your homework. As much as I wish, um, I wish I could find something that would you know, help out toward the argument, I just can't. I mean, you you have all the bases covered there. Well, and, and speculation, too. I look at the time frame. Dale mm-hmm. Earnhardt had died just about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half earlier than when cancel this this uh this contract i'm wondering if losing the star of the sport and you know having all the petties the allisons retire by that point 
didn't influence their decision a little bit. Maybe Winston didn't want to go with this nice young gun crowd of the Matt Kenseths and the Ryan Newmans and the Tony Stewart's at that time. And they wanted the established veterans to already be there. Um, I'm wondering if that didn't have any influence in their decision. Again, I got my tinfoil hat on here. Yeah. I think what you said about the timeline, it really does line up and people forget the events around Winston leaving without really taking into consideration as to what happened and why and the circumstances. And I think that a lot of that is really important, even in even hypotheticals like this. Yeah, I mean, you said it. Um, Dale Earnhardt, uh, he passed. Um, I mean, I don't know if necessarily uh, something like 9-11 could have triggered something from that. Um, so I don't know that I'll go down that avenue. Uh, but 2001 was a rough year. I mean, you lose the biggest star of your sport, and like you said, you've got the young guns coming up. Uh, I know we saw the Gillette Young Guns um, whole marketing campaign. It was beautiful. you got a bunch of young guys shaving and stuff like that. Uh, well, those young guns um, most likely aren't smoking because these guys don't smoke because they know the consequences at this at this point in time. Whereas these old guard guys, the guys like the Allisons, like the Petties, um, Earnhardt and and Yarborough and stuff like that look like guys who would sit there and 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 smoke uh, because they're that harder, um, manlier uh, driver that 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 blue collar guy. Whereas some of these guys coming up like Jeff Gordon, uh, even into the Ryan Newmans and Kurt Busch's and stuff that might be a little bit rowdy. They're still kind of white collary, um, and and wouldn't be quote unquote maybe hard enough to smoke those cigarettes. So maybe the the sport evolved away from Winston in the fact that they didn't have the guys coming up being the guys that were poster boys for, I guess, their, I guess, perfect silhouette of, of their, of their, um, of who's going to use their product basically. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I agree completely. And it's as the Winston cup series, it's harder to promote a Kane than it is a Terry Labonte, you know? Right. And not to say that these guys weren't young when they came in. I mean, obviously the the rookie age was generally a little bit older um, during the the time between seventy two and two thousand four than it was, you know, late nineties on. Um, but you know, a guy like Darrell Waltrip, who was who was a pretty boy, who was um, you know this, that, and the other, he was still a very hard racer. He was still a quote unquote knucklehead. And he still kind of fit that that persona. His his features even um, were kind of more manly than than some of the guys coming up. You mentioned Casey Kane. I mean, that's that's about as close to McDreamy as NASCAR has ever gotten. So I mean, you know, these guys coming in with softer faces, they don't look like they're hardened like athletes or hardened working men. They're just kind of guys that come in and. And do the job and leave, and they're kind of pampered and stuff. I mean, it just didn't fit with Winston, so it would make sense around this time, where the whole sports kind of changing of the guard is happening that they would leave. Yeah, that's a fair point. The demographic thing that you mentioned—it's um, very interesting because I don't, like you said, I can't picture Casey Kane smoking pack of cigarettes every day. You know, that's just not—that's just not how you can see a guy like that. But then again. Um, if these guys are driving race cars for a living, then they don't have to smoke cigarettes to be defined as, you know, 
you know, like, those guys are pretty tough as is. But like you said, advertising is really important and demographics are very important. So I could definitely understand why Winston wouldn't wouldn't want to sponsor a bunch of 20-year-old kids. The exit makes sense uh, from that point. And I'm glad you brought it up, Colton. I mean, because that's something that, that I don't think I, I thought about. Um, after learning about everything with legislation and stuff, I just thought it was solely based on the government wouldn't allow them to renew their contract. So, I mean, that's that's new information to me. And if you guys think that the conversation is over with, I guess, Nathan, you can go ahead and take us into picks. Yeah, um, I would say picks were pretty eventful last week. The race was really chaotic because of the rain, and I kind of had some hard luck with Truex running into the back of McDowell and then Tesla running into the back of him. Um, Colton actually pulled out a win with Chase Elliott getting a win. Alex got the second most points with AJ Allmendinger. I don't know where Allmendinger finished, but I know it's pretty well. So, with that being said, it looks like I'm going to go first. Um, as always, um, I try to do my picks based on the upcoming track and you know the previously. So I, I think I'm going to go with Chase Elliott for the 600. Um, Hendrick as a whole has probably been the flagship team in the series on the 550 tracks and. Elliot himself has usually been the strongest Hendrick car at Charlotte recently on the Oval. Um, he won that little Thursday night race they had after the 600, and then he finished second in the 600, which was a race, obviously, that he might have won if it wasn't for a pit call that didn't pan out. So with how fast Hendrick is on the 550s, I think it's Elliot's turn to win on an Oval. With my pick out of the way, we're going to move on to Alex. Who do you think is going to win the 600? Uh, well, I think... You know, the 600, especially in recent years, it'd be really hard-pressed not to pick the number 19 of Martin Truex Jr. Um, I think that the Toyotas have not really had success on the 550 tracks this year, so um, I think it might be a risky pick to take the 19 uh, specifically for this track, but I think I'm just going to have to because I'm going to go with base... Uh, basing on recent history rather than uh, this this season in general. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he went off and led 390-something more laps. Yeah, that's a great pick. I wouldn't be surprised either. Colton, what about you? I am torn between two drivers here. I want to pick Ryan Blaney because he has been super consistent, super good at the 550 so far this year. Um, he, and this is a different conversation, but he definitely should have won the last 550 race at Kansas um, without being turned by Larson into the, the first corner on that last restart there. Um, but I am going to go with the guy that turned him, Kyle Larson, who has been the absolute king of the 550s this year. He's only been able to close out one. He's been up front at all of them. He has been super dominant. I think he is going to get it done in Charlotte at the 600-mile race. I think these are all pretty damn good picks. I mean, you can't go wrong with someone who – who led the most laps in a NASCAR event history, um, and Martin Truex Jr., uh, myself, you can't really go wrong with a guy that's uh, come back to the sport and just overhauled everyone on these 550 tracks with Larson. And uh, Chase Elliott just got the win, uh, albeit based on a, on a rain out, uh, but that just gives a little bit more incentive to the guys on that team. So I don't doubt that that's yeah. going to be a, a good pick. Um, seeing as how good the Hendrick cars themselves are um, just all yeah, over the schedule this year. He's been the standout Hendrick car at Charlotte on the Oval over the last few years. So, I mean, I see 
I see no problem. Um, I don't. I normally would have gone Larson, but with how the track's gone, I have no idea how the, the upper lane's going to work with all the traction pump on and stuff. So I just want the safe way. Wait, are they actually putting the the PJ one on the track again this year? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they are. I think, but they're going to have practice to run it. Ah, uh, that's still disappointing, man. I don't, I don't, I don't like that. I, I, I Peter, just, I just really that's part of the reason Elliot is in. I feel like he's if the track doesn't have a top lane, I feel like he's better suited for that. Um, because looking at all the the five fifties that Larson's dominated this year, you know Atlanta has multiple grooves. Um, it's not necessarily a top lane track, but it's still has a lot of grooves. Um, Vegas is obviously now a Um, Kansas is definitely a multi groove track. So. This is really the first one lane, one and a half mile track we've been to. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I may have made a mistake by going this weekend. Um, damn. Well, I hope I don't go up there and watch four really boring races because I didn't think about the PJ one because I don't want to think about it. I kind of erased that from my mind, but um, we'll get into that another day. Um, I guess that's pretty much it for our race analysis going forward. Uh, I think it was a really, really good um, episode tonight, guys. I mean, the what-ifs, uh, we, we kicked it off with something big, but I think we can definitely grow in on it. Um, and then, of course, as always, uh, the past few weeks, Worker Joke was pretty fun. So I hope you guys had fun tonight. Absolutely. It's never a bad time on here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to this every week. Um, and the 8500, too. We got a great day. Oh, yeah. Motorsports Christmas, dude. Yes, I mean, it's, it's going to be a fun time. I, I, I wish Monica was the that, same man. day, but, man, it, it doesn't really get better than Sunday because I'm probably just going to get up, wash the car, and then sit on the couch all day. Yeah, yeah I, did, I didn't yeah. even think about that. So you guys want to talk about um, what you're going to see on Sunday's afternoon spectacle, the greatest spectacle Ooh. in racing that is? I'm, I mean, I'm very excited. On pole, so. Yeah, as much as my mind, like the logical side of me says, yeah, you know, Dixon dominated the straight last year. He didn't win, but he dominated. And he's looked pretty stout all month. And he's already won on the Oval this year. It makes me think, yeah, there's no way Scott Dixon loses. But the fun side of me thinks that I do want to make a gamble, and I'm kind of torn between picking someone like Marcus Erickson, who's been pretty solid in all the practices. He hasn't been outright fast, but – he has been, you know, top eight, top ten in the race trim practice, and the Ganassi cars are all fast. And then you've got guys that are favorites every year to win this race, like Rossi. Um, the Penske cars are pretty rough, to be honest, considering Will Power almost missed the race. But I don't, I'm just interested. I think that it'll be neat to see which team kind of gets the upper, the upper hand. There's a lot of things going on. Honda's dominant, but there's so many teams that run Honda that are all quick enough to win. So I really, I really can't tell you a surefire pick that I would go with, but there's definitely a few long shots that appeal to me. Yeah, I'm yeah. stoked. If there's one race that I don't miss every year, it's going to be the Indy 500. Sorry, Daytona, um, but this is the biggest race of the year, in my opinion. Um, super excited to watch it. Can't wait to see who wins. I think Dixon's probably going to do it. Um, but the glory of the Indy 500 is you never know what's going to happen. Um, we could see a late race restart. We could see, um, someone who is just kind of sandbagging it and practicing qualifying, come out and nail the setup. Um, we could see a mechanical failure or an accident play a huge factor into the race. Um, I am super, super stoked about Sunday. 
I'm really pulling for Juan Montoya because I know that he has another best of months. But imagine a guy winning three Indy 500s and six stars. That would be quite a storyline, say the least. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's a bunch like, of guys I, that can do it. Um, that's the one beautiful thing about the Indy 500 is you don't really know what you're going to get until Sunday rolls off. Um, like Colton said, someone might just hit a banger of a setup uh, in race setup and not qualify that well. Um, we could have a, a last lap crash uh, like the J.R. Hildebrand uh, accident. Oh, that hurts, man. That really hurts. Yeah. And and just even change careers at Indy 500. I mean, who heard of Alexander Rossi before he won that thing? And it was a fuel mileage race, and he crawled across the line. Um, the 2017 race where Alonso was there, and he was leading some of the laps. Sato won. Oh, there's just so many storylines that come out of that place. It's it's so illustrious. It's such a, a, a great show. I mean, personally, I'd love to see Sato get a third. Um, and I would love to see someone like Alex Pillow come on the scene as a rookie and get a, a yeah. win as well. Um, but who knows what you're going to get. Scott Dixon could go out there and lead all 200 laps, uh, or at least all of them that aren't during a pit cycle. And and that's the beauty of the race. We don't we don't know until they until they drop that checker flag, um, what's going to happen those two hundred laps. So, yeah, um, I'm excited for it. I don't know what to expect either. I, that's what I love about the race. Like you said, I don't think there's a better example of unpredictability than 2011 because everybody thought Hildebrand had it in the bag, and he gets in the marbles on the last lap and hits the wall and. And even a lap before that, some guy named Bertrand Baguette was leading the race on fuel miles. So, like, what? I don't know what on earth to expect. I think that – I feel like fuel is going to come into play. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, a green flag race. Yeah, I remember that now that y'all brought it up, that 2011 race. Man, that's heartbreaking to see Hildebrand lose it like that. Yeah, I was mad, man. I remember oh, being like, on my couch. I was like, in, I was like 10 years old. Yeah, well, and the funny was, thing about that was Hildebrand was sponsored by National Guard, and this is on yeah, the and the junior thing too. And then right? yeah, Dale Junior runs out of gas in the last lap of the six hundred, so way to pull it out for the National Guard guys. Both the National Guard cars shit in the bed on the last lap. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> well, that's just a bad day for a sponsor. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, it was a great day for race fans. I remember um, that race specifically. Um, Harvick came out of nowhere to win because of that fuel mileage stuff. Oh uh, we gosh, got yeah. one of the greatest NASCAR uh, internet memes ever with uh, that guy that was screaming at the Oh, TV. the junior Harvick fan. On the, yeah. On the so, I mean, I mean, it's always going to be a great day, um, despite the fact that we don't have Monaco this weekend. Like I think we all uh, alluded to last week that we think it should have been um, this weekend. But – Hey, we got two of the big ones. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to watch uh, the Indy 500 or not. I don't know what my schedule looks like on Sunday. But uh, I should be tweeting from the racetrack uh, Friday through Sunday, so that will be fun. Um, I'm going to get a scanner for the first time because it came with a ticket package that we got that was really, really cheap um, uh, for for four races and a scanner all three days. So excited about that. Excited about singing, seeing single car qualifying in person again uh for quite for the first time in quite some time um i'm coming i'm kind of a nerd when it comes to that so hopefully it'll be a, a really good weekend and uh we'll try and get a little bit more content than usual out for you guys heck yeah and i do have a giveaway this week for the first time ever someone won the giveaway last week i'm just gonna send him a whole bunch of stuff a fellow by the name of chad harrington has won it 
um, at Flagman Dixie S G A on Twitter. Alex, you know this guy. Um, I'm gonna uh, send him all of the stuff that I got. I'm gonna send him a huge box of stuff. Um, the giveaways are real this week. If you tweet at me with the word Coke C O K E N R the Coke 600, um, I will be sending you a Tony Stewart Pez dispenser. This is brand new in the package. It's got the candy in the package. Um, it's really cool. Home Depot. It's got flames in the helmet. Um, super sick. I'll be sending this to the first person to tweet at me with the word Coke C O K E. Yeah, I, I was kind of, I kind of um, thought that was kind of funny that my dad did uh, did chime in for your uh, giveaway. Um, I, I appreciate it. Obviously, uh, trying to get some traction to some other people. Colton will send you stuff. Um, we are doing real giveaways, so um, don't be shy. Um, I know my dad's been on the show, so you guys all know him. So maybe you think it's a little bit uh, rigged, but hey, uh, he's the first person to answer, so that means uh, you snooze, you lose. Um, yeah. No, no problem. No problem for me with that. Um, with that being said, uh, you know um, where to respond to us at Fanfield Podcast One on Twitter. That's a capital F, capital F, capital P, and the number one. So please uh, engage with us. Uh, I do appreciate. Gabriel Ryor, I hope I'm saying that uh, correctly. I do appreciate you uh, kind of connecting with us on your favorite paint scheme from the previous Coca-Cola 600s. Uh, of course, Colton and I agreed on the Jimmy Johnson 2014 scheme and then the 2010 scheme from, from Jeff Gordon uh, was Nathan's favorite. Uh, so we'd love to hear more thoughts from you guys uh, on those kind of things as we uh, post them on Twitter if you got questions that you want answered on the podcast, just you know, shoot us up uh, a DM or or tweet at us over there at Fanfield Podcast One on Twitter, and we will definitely get it on the show. Uh, appreciate all you guys listening this far, and we will see you next week. Thanks. Bye.